Good morning. Well, thank you, Pastor John. Blessing to be with you this morning. We came out for the conference yesterday. We had a conference instructing Bible teachers, pastors, assistant pastors on how how to preach and teach the Bible. Basically, that's what it was all about. And we encouraged them to teach from the Word of God and to preach the Word of God. So what a blessed day that was. And then John asked me to stick around for another day, which I was glad to do and uh, preach this morning. So blessing to be with you. Uh, Yes, I'm born and raised in California. There are Christians in California. (laughs) And some of them are even staying in California. A miracle of God. So, but um, God called me in 1973 to, to start a little Bible study and it grew into a church. And I pastored there for 39 years. Never thought I would go anywhere else being a founding pastor and then the Lord called me to leave that work to my assistant pastor to go about an hour south toward this kind of San Diego area southwest Riverside County and start or to take over an existing church that was uh, needing a pastor and I felt God had called me to take over that uh, ministry and God has blessed that so I'm now uh, the senior pastor at Revival Christian Fellowship in Menifee, California. So I've been there now nine years, and it's been an amazing time to see what God has done there. So, But blessed to be with you this morning, and I hope you have a Bible that you can open with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Whenever you're a guest speaker, you're always picking a text, and there's so much to pick from that you're kind of, Lord, just lead me, guide me, and help me to know what it is you want me to speak on. So I felt drawn to this Colossians. I've been preaching from Colossians over the years uh, many times, but it's always a blessing to open Colossians and learn that Christ is sufficient for everything we need. That's really the theme of the book of Colossians, the sufficiency of Christ. If anyone tries to tell you that you need more than Jesus, then just tell them to read the book of Colossians, that you have everything you need and everything that you'll ever need in Jesus Christ. Amen? So we're going to look at Colossians 3. I want you to follow me in your Bibles, verses 1 to 4. And the title of my message, if you're taking notes, is How to Live the Abundant Life. How to Live the Abundant Life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this time together to worship you, to open your word. Your word is a lamp. Unto our feet, and it's a light to our path. I thank you for all the hungry hearts you brought here to church today. Pray that you would speak through what you've spoken. Pray that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and transform the child of God into the image of you, Lord Jesus, the Son of God. That's our prayer. Help us to know how to live the abundant life. We ask it in Jesus' Precious and powerful name and everyone agreeing said, amen and amen. Let's read the text beginning in verse 1 of Colossians chapter 3. Paul says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sits on the right hand of God, set your affections, the word is your mind, your thoughts, on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead, verse 3. And your life is hid with Christ in God. Now when Christ, who is our life, I love that, Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall appear also with him in glory. 
In John chapter 10, in verse 10, Jesus made the statement. He said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it what? More abundantly. So Jesus promised two things. I want to give you life and I want to give you abundant life. You know, when you become a Christian, you have eternal life, right? John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him shall not perish but have what? Everlasting life. By the way, that everlasting life isn't just that you're going to live forever. It's a new quality, not just quantity. It's a new quality. It's eternal life. And that's the life that comes when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. You were born again by the Spirit of God, and you were indwelt by His Spirit. You were sealed by His Spirit, and you become His child. So you have life, but the question I want to propose to you this morning is, do you have abundant life? There are a lot of Christians that are saved, but you'd never know it by looking at them. They are looking miserable. They look like they've been baptized in lemon juice. Sometimes I say they're on their way to heaven, but they look like hell. <laughs> God have mercy. So you might say, well, I've been a Christian for many years, but I'm not happy, and I'm not having the joy of the Lord, and I'm not really walking in the Spirit, and I'm not experiencing the abundant life that God has promised me. So the believers at Colossae were facing a danger. Let me explain why Paul said what he said here in chapter 3. They were facing a danger that others who were coming into the church, false teachers were saying, Jesus is not enough. Jesus isn't enough. You got Jesus, but you need a little bit more. You need some laws and some rules and some regulations. And you need some little mysticism over here. And you need some little philosophy over here. And they were trying to tell them that Christ is not sufficient. They were false teachers they were actually polluting them and spoiling them. Peek real quick with me in Colossians 2, verse 8. He says, Beware lest any man spoil you. That's the danger they were facing. Through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. They were trying to get them to look somewhere else for fulfillment and meaning and purpose. Once you come to Jesus Christ, you don't need to look anywhere else. Amen? You're searching and you find Christ and he brings not only life, but he brings abundant life. So don't let anyone spoil you. Tell you you need legalism or you need mysticism or you need philosophy or you need some kind of religious rites or rituals. You've come to Jesus Christ in whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Many times Christians grow bored in the Lord. Maybe this morning you're bored in the Lord. Well, I've read that. I've heard that. There's nothing exciting or new about being a Christian. And you need to be careful that you're not being spoiled. So Paul is telling us in Colossians that Jesus is sufficient. Colossians is a parallel book to the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians, the focus is on the body, the church of Christ. And in Colossians, the focus is on the head of the body, Christ himself. Colossians is one of the books of the Bible that's one of the most Christ-exalting books of the Bible. It's a marvelous book that exalts Christ because they were in danger of not believing Christ was sufficient for everything 
that they needed. So they were telling them that you need legalism or maybe Eastern mysticism or some kind of aestheticism that you are going to be able to have the abundant life. So in chapter 1, Paul declared Christ's sufficiency of Colossians. In chapter 2, he defended Christ's sufficiency. And in chapters 3 and 4, where our text appears, Paul says that we all must demonstrate or live out the sufficiency of Christ in our daily lives. He moves from creed now to the conduct of the believer. Christ's fullness dwells in the believer. Peek again. We're going to come back to our text, but peek at chapter 1, verse 19, where Paul says, Therefore it pleased the Father that in him, that is Christ, should all fullness dwell. That's, again, one of those great Christological passages that exalts the person of Jesus Christ. And then peek with me real quick at chapter 2 and verse 10. And he says here that you as believers are complete. Notice that word. In him, which is the head of all principality and power. That's one of my favorite verses in the book of Colossians. The word complete is a nautical term. And it literally means ship shape, fully rigged, ready to sail. So if you are a Christian, you have everything you need in Christ. You are complete. You're ship shape, fully rigged, and ready to sail in life. So Paul tells us how to live out that fullness and that completeness in Christ. He's telling us how to live the abundant life. Now, there are three things that we must do to live the abundant life, and I want you to see them in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. If you're taking notes, number one, if we're going to live the abundant life, this is how to live the abundant life, you must seek heavenly things. Pretty simple, but not simplistic. You must seek heavenly things. Go back with me to verse 1. He says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. The basis of victorious Christian living is your position and your identification in Christ. I I don't know if you knew this, but Paul's most favorite term that he uses more than any other term in all of the New Testament is the term in Christ. Gain an understanding of what it means and what's involved in you being in Christ and it'll transform your Christianity. I promise you. If you grasp mentally and you believe what it means to be in Christ and the moment you were saved you were taken out of Adam the Bible teaches and you were placed in Christ. And to be in Christ means that you're a Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian who's not in Christ. And the moment you are put in Christ by the Holy Spirit, all the blessings of the Spirit are yours in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, he delineates so many of them. Blessings from the Father, he's chosen us. Blessings from the Son, he's redeemed us. Blessings from the Holy Spirit, he has sealed us by the Holy Spirit under the day of redemption. And the list goes on and on and on of the blessings that are yours in Christ. Problem is, is we don't know those blessings that we can't enjoy those blessings. And if you don't know what you have, you can't enjoy it, right? If you got $10,000 stuck in a sock drawer and you didn't know it was there, wouldn't that be a bummer? 
Over the years, there'd be a time I'd stick some money in the sock drawer a little bit, you know, and there'd be times when I, oh, I need some money, I don't have any money. And then maybe months later, I'd finally go, man, I wish I would have known it was there when I needed it. So you can't enjoy what you don't know you have. So the Bible is all full of things that uh, explain what you have in Christ, the fullness that you have. And that's what Paul is saying here. If you then be risen with Christ, he says that we are to seek those things which are above. In chapter 2, verse 20, he tells us that we were dead with Christ. So this is what's known as your position in Christ and your identification in Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, you died with Christ. When Jesus was buried, you were buried with Christ. When Jesus rose from the dead, you rose with Christ. Doesn't stop there. When Jesus ascended into heaven, you went to heaven with Christ. And when Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, you're in Christ. You're exalted above all principalities and powers in Christ in heavenly places. You're blessed in heavenlies. So that's all your identification with Christ. So all of humanity has two identifying heads. Either Adam, which is condemnation and sin, or Jesus, which is salvation and the forgiveness of sins. And the moment you are born again, you're taken out of Adam and you're placed in Christ. And I, I, I happen to believe it's a kind of debatable issue for some Christians, but I believe once you're in Christ, you're always in Christ. I believe Romans chapter 8, it says that there's no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ Jesus, period. That's where that verse ends. No condemnation. Opens with no condemnation, Romans 8, 1. It ends with no separation, the end of the chapter. And in between, no defeat. How, how, how marvelous is that? So what he's telling us to do, if we're going to have the abundant life, he's telling us that we need to know that we are identified positionally within Christ, that we are risen with Christ, verse 1. Now, when he says if, and I'm reading from a King James translation, it's what's called a first-class conditional clause. It conveys the idea, if you then be risen with Christ, and you have been. So it's inspecting a yes reply. It's not questioning that you're risen with Christ. It's saying, since you are. So it literally could be translated, since you are risen with Christ. Not if, but since you are risen with Christ. This is what you do. You seek the things which are above. That's what he's telling us to do. Verse 1. Now, he's not telling us to seek philosophies. Chapter 2, verse 8. He's not telling us to seek religious legalism. Chapter 2, verse 16. Nor should we seek man-made disciplines, chapter 2, verse 20 and 23. You know, there's so many silly things that Christians get into to try to become more spiritual or more blessed. Well, if I pray more and if I read my Bible, then God will bless me. And we forget about the grace of God. Now, I'm not saying by any means don't pray. But you don't pray for God to bless you. You pray because God has blessed you. You don't deserve or merit or merit the favor of God. God blesses us in Christ. That's why we read his word, we study, we pray, we seek him because of the blessings that God brings into our lives. But in the context of Colossians, the 
silly things they were doing was getting into legalism. Don't touch that. Don't taste that. Don't drink that. Worship on certain days. Make sure you have. I'm always kidding my church about having a Christian haircut. You know, make sure you got a Christian haircut, whatever that is. That you wear Christian clothes. I got saved back in the late 60s, actually early 70s. And I wasn't a full-blown hippie. I'm a little bit young to be a full-blown hippie, but I was kind of semi-hippie. And I was a surfer from California, had long hair and a big beard and, and all that stuff. And I got saved and I had Jesus and I went back to church and everyone's like, when's he going to look like a Christian? When's he going to cut his hair? And I was kind of surprised. I thought, I look more like Jesus than any of you do. What's the deal? What do you mean, when am I going to look like a Christian? I've seen the pictures of Jesus. I look like Jesus. But people get into all this kind of legalistic kind of thing. Aren't you glad that God looks not on the outward appearance, but God looks where? On the heart. Amen. Now, when the heart is changed, then the outside should reflect the inside. So your outer appearance should reflect what's inside of you. But God works on the heart. God looks on the heart. God changes the heart. So he's telling the Colossians, don't, don't get involved in all these things like aestheticism, touch not, taste not, handle not. Those are to perish with the using. Don't worry about legalism. Though, though, though you're not saved by the law. You're not sanctified by keeping the law. But what you need to do is you need to seek the things which are Above. Now, that statement there in verse 1 is in the Greek what is called an imperative. That means it's a command. Whenever you have a comparative, it's not an option. This is not an option. He's not saying, you know, if you're bored with the Lord and you don't know what to do and you're just hanging out, why don't you try just seeking the Lord? No, commanding us to seek the Lord. And it's in what's called the present tense, which means you continually ongoingly, habitually seek the things which are uh, above. So important. Now, what does it mean to do that? I, I believe that it means that we are seeking Christ. Where is Jesus? He's in heaven. So you're seeking Christ. You're setting your mind on Christ. You're setting your affections, we're going to see down in verse 2, on Christ. But your mind needs to be set on him as well as your heart here in verse 1. So spiritual maturity is a goal which demands diligent pursuit. Matthew 6.33, Jesus said what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. So are you seeking things above? Are you passionate about God and Christ and heaven and his word and the things of the Lord? Are you setting your mind on things above? You maybe have heard the statement that some people are so heavenly minded they're no earthly good. I don't believe that you can be truly heavenly minded and no earthly good. I actually believe that those who do the most for this world are those who think the most about the next world. If you're so heavenly minded, you're not earthly good, then you're not really heavenly minded. And the problem is that we're not thinking of heaven enough. It's the problem is that we're thinking of earth too much. You know, all the problems that we've gone through this past year in America, and 
the changes in government and so forth that's happening. I, I just a, a great reminder that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up where, where, somewhere beyond the blue, amen? <laughs> so be engaged, but don't put your hopes in man. Don't put your hopes in government. Keep your focus on heaven and keep your focus on Christ. Seek those things which are above. This is the way Paul said it in Philippians 3 verse 10. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings and I want to be made conformable unto his image. Now, when Paul made that statement in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, he had been a Christian for 30 years. 30 years, Paul the Apostle walking with Christ. And what does he say? I want to know him. Wow, that's amazing. We sometimes use the term, do you know the Lord for a person's salvation? But Paul was saying, I know him in my salvation. I want to know him in my sanctification. I want to be made more like him. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering. Now, that's something that we don't usually talk about. I, 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 I want to pass on that. I want to know the power of his resurrection. Yes, let's have power. Let's have suffering. No, let's not have suffering. But Paul says, I want to be so identified with Christ that I actually suffer for his cause. This isn't to add to his afflictions or to add to the atoning work of the cross. This is to deepen his fellowship, the fellowship of his suffering. The fellowship that is the result of suffering driving me to dependence and reliance upon Jesus Christ. And then he said in Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14, this is how he does it. He says, I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived. But this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind and I reach, I strain, I agonizo. In the Greek, I agonize. Stretching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the, prize, toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I haven't arrived. You're in big trouble in your Christian life if you think, I'm under the spot where the glory comes out. I've arrived in Canaan's land. I have really, I've read the Bible. I got the Holy Ghost. I can't get any more. I've just arrived. I, I'm, I'm on the mountaintop. No. It's a lifelong pursuit of seeking him and knowing him. We pray, we read the word to know him better, to draw nearer to him. Amen? Notice it says in verse 1 where Christ sits at the right hand of God, which speaks of his rest, his finished work, his intercession, and his exalted position as sovereign. So the first thing you need to do to live the abundant life is you, you need to seek the heavenly things. And then here's the second thing. If you're taking notes, write it down. Verse 2, you need to think heavenly things. So we go from seeking to thinking. Notice that in verse 2, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Now, seeking involves the will, and then the thinking revolves the mind. Set your affections. A better translation would be your mind on things above. Did you know your mind matters? Everybody thinks that Christians are like mindless, crazy people. 
You know, when you come to church, you check your brains out at the door, and then you pick them up on the way out. And, but when you're in church, you just kind of put your intellect to the side. Jesus said to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and your mind. And God wants us to have a sanctified mind. He wants to have a disciplined mind. Your mind matters. So we need to, listen carefully, we need to think about what we think about. Do you ever think about that? We need to think about what we think about. Don't let your mind go wherever it wants to go. You have to think on things which are above. If you're going to seek what is above, you need to think about things that are above. So important. Now, in the context of Colossians, I would say that that thinking of things not on this earth would be a warning. Don't think about empty philosophy. Don't think about Eastern mysticism. Don't, don't, don't think about these legalistic rules and regulations. As I mentioned earlier, I got, got saved out of hippiedom a little bit. And uh, hippies would meditate and they would eat health food and they would do all, which is funny, used to smoke pot and eat health food. I don't know how that works. <laughs> I always seem kind of stupid to me. Let's eat real healthy and then let's smoke marijuana. You know, it's like, come again. But, you know, I had a friend that was in transcendental meditation, and I got saved. And he says, John, you know, Jesus is great, but, you know, if you would do transcendental meditation, you you, you could be a better Christian. You, You could go deeper within you. You know, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you, which he took out of context, I found out years later. You, you, you need to meditate. And so you sit in a lotus and you contemplate your navel and, you know, and you'll be set free. All I ever did was find lint. I never found any truth. <laughs> Forgive me. I'm sorry. But I had a friend that literally was trying to tell me that to be a better Christian, it would just help my Christianity. I needed transcendental meditation. <laughs> Forgive me for laughing. I have God in my heart and life. I have the Holy Spirit. I have Christ. I have his word. What, what, what more do I need? Amen? Jesus Christ is all that I need. He meets all of my needs. He's sufficient. So we need to keep on. Now, again, I want to point out that set your affections, your minds on things above, not negative on things. That are, so there's a positive and a negative in verse 2. That, that is, again, an imperative. It's a command, and it's in the present tense. Keep on thinking heavenly things. Keep your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So very important. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is good report, Whatever is a virtue, whatever is praiseworthy, to do what? Think on these things. So if you're going to do that, you're going to have to spend time in God's word once again and let your mind be renewed by the word of God. I love Romans chapter 12 where Paul says, I beg you by God's mercy, present your body a living sacrifice. And being not conformed to this world. It's very similar to this Colossians passage. Don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. 
that you may prove or discover the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God for your life. This is the abundant Christian life. You give God your body. You give God your mind. You give God your heart. You give God every area of your life, and you say, Lord, transform me. Fill me with your spirit. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What do you think about the most? What are you absorbed in your house, your job, your cars, your possessions? All those things are temporal. Just to encourage you, whatever it is you're into materialistically, it's going to burn. Maybe you're so into your car, you park it sideways in two stalls in the parking lot at the store, and you lock it up, and then you back up when you leave it so you can just check it out, how cool it is. And then you, you know, buff it and shine it and worship it every Saturday morning. It's going to burn. Just came from California to tell you that. <laughs> it's going to burn. Set your heart on things above, not on things of this earth. Your mind is so important to experience the Christian abundant life. Let me give you step number three. Step number one, seek the heavenly things. Step number two, think heavenly things. And here's step number three. Believe heavenly things. Four. Now notice that verse starts with a four. And so it's the rationale. It's the reason. It's a key word in understanding. Okay, Paul's trying to tell us why here. here. Here's the why of his commands. He gives us two commands and he gives us a why. For you are dead. So why should you not set your mind on things of this earth? Verse 2. Because you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. And here's another reason. Because when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you will also appear with him in glory. We're back in heaven. So we should seek heavenly things, think heavenly things. We should believe heavenly things because that's where we're going someday. Amen? We're going to heaven. So Paul is literally, in verses 3 and 4, he's giving us the reasons and the motives for seeking and thinking heavenly things. And I want to give them to you once again as you take this down in your notes. Number one, you have died in Christ. Notice it there in verse 3. For you are dead. Notice that. You are dead. Now remember earlier I reminded you of what is called your identification in Christ. Your position in Christ. Jesus died guess what? So did you. When you were baptized, water baptism is a symbol of your burial. That's why I believe in total immersion. You bury the old man. I've had people say, hold me down a long time, Pastor John. I got a lot to bury. <laughs> I kind of swish them around a little bit before I bring them up, you know. I've always thought it'd be cool to go to the beach in California and throw them off the end of the pier. And Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. If you make it back to the beach, you're saved. <laughs> I'm kidding. But that is a picture of your burial, so we always bring them up. We haven't lost anyone. Always bring them up, back up out of the water, that's your resurrection. 
So even though you are dead with Christ and to the affections of this world, you've risen with Christ, which is so very important. So when he says you have died with Christ, it's actually in the past tense. So it's a past experience in your identification with Christ that carries on into the present and on into the eternal future. In our identification with Christ, we have set the cross between ourselves and all the subtle allurements of sin. I love the words of that old hymn, content to let the world go by, to know no gain nor loss, my sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross. You're dead to the world and to this lust and the affections thereof. That's the abundant Christian life. Paul said in Galatians 6, verse 14, God forbid that I should glory except in one area, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. How much temptation do you think a dead person has? Very little. I, I, I like baked goods. You bake it, I'll eat it. Anything baked. It baked I just, when I go into bakery, it's just like, uh, freak out. But I tell you, when I die, you can run a box of donuts under my nose and I'm not going to be tempted because I'm dead. How much temptation is there to a dead man? None. So I'm dead to the world, the affections. I'm not, not saying that practically you don't get tempted to sin, but you need to remember the cross. You died with Christ. You're buried with Christ. Remember that in the baptism, the symbol of it, you were buried. You're dead. Your, your old life's gone. So now walk in newness of life, amen? Walk in the power of his Holy Spirit. Let me give you the second reason to believe heavenly things. It's in verse 3. Your life is hid with Christ in God. I think that we, all, we so often pass over that statement in that verse. Your life is hid with Christ in God. What a marvelous truth that is. It has two connotations. It speaks of secrecy and safety. Secrecy hid the world cannot see who you are. So here you're a child of God. You're on your way to heaven. You've been redeemed, washed in the blood. You have the Holy Spirit. This world is not your home. You're on your way to heaven, right? And the world doesn't see it. The world doesn't know. You just look like anybody else. So your relationship to God is something that's hidden from them. Their eyes are blinded. They don't know the true children of God. They don't understand you. You're an enigma to them. But I like the idea, too, that it denotes safety, the security that I have in Christ. Jesus starts with 100 sheep. He ends with 100 sheep. If he loses one, he goes into the hills and finds the one that went astray, and he brings it back rejoicing. In John 14, verse 20, it says, In that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and that you and me, and I in you. So we're all bound up with the Son and with the Father. We're all one in Christ. We're justified and we're sanctified and we're going to see one day we'll be glorified. But let me give you reason number three in verse four. Christ is your life. Christ is your life. You're dead. You're hid. Christ, verse four, who is our life? So my question is this morning, is Christ your life? Do you in him live and breathe and have your being like a bird in the sky, like a fish in the sea, 
Is Christ your life? Do you breathe Christ? Do you live Christ? Do you love Christ? I woke up this morning, I haven't seen my wife for a few days, I haven't seen my family for a few days, and, and I thought about, you know, how I love my wife, I've been married about 43 years, and four kids, and going to be seven grandkids in a few weeks here, and thinking about how blessed I am, but I thought, Lord Jesus, you're, 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 I love you supremely, I love you more than anyone in my whole life. You mean more to me than my own life, my own breath. Jesus actually said you're to love God more than anyone else, more than anything else. And he conveys that idea here that Christ who is your life. What a marvelous truth that is. So, what a marvelous truth. We're with Christ, we're living for Christ, and we're positionally in Christ. But notice number four reason to believe heavenly things is verse four, Christ will appear. Who Christ who is our life shall appear. The word appear there is epiphania. It means to appear in splendor. We use the word epiphany for a a surprise. So it's a splendorous, glorious appearing. The Bible says that Christ is coming. It uses the word peruso, which means a personal appearing. The same Jesus that went to heaven is coming from heaven. And it uses the word apocalypse or unveiled. He's coming to reveal himself. So when Christ comes, the world will see the true nature of Christ and his people, the church, the bride of Christ. But notice in verse 4, fifthly and lastly, he will appear, we will appear with him in glory. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. So we're right back in heaven where we started in verse 1. Set your affections on things above. We're headed for glory. The great American theologian Jonathan Edwards once said, what begins with grace ends in glory. When God saves you by his grace, it will end in glory. Justification, sanctification, glorification. I've been saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved. So if you're a child of God, you're headed for glory, amen? Amen. And Christ will appear, and what a glorious thing to be with him in glory. Jesus is our hope. So we seek things above, verse 1. We think on things above, verse 2. We believe the things that are true of our position in Christ because he's taking us to glory. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. He said, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also look eagerly and wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, that's bodies of humiliation, that they may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. I don't know about you, but I'm groaning for a new body. (laughs) Everyone over 60 says amen. You young people think, oh, I got a a really bad bod. You're always checking yourself out in the mirror, you know, in the reflection. I'm awesome. Just wait, buckaroo. (laughs) Do you know that you peak at 25? I peaked a long time ago. 
And it's downhill from there, and the farther down the slide you go, the faster it goes. Woo, it really starts to book at the bottom. So I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to my new body, amen? So let's set our thoughts on things above, let's seek things above, and let's look for Christ who comes again to take us to glory, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. We pray that you would encourage us as believers today to seek heavenly things, to think heavenly things. Help us to mind our minds because our minds matter. Help us to believe heavenly things, to trust you, to believe in your word that we have been forgiven of all of our sins. We're justified. To know that we have the Holy Spirit living in us, that we're sealed into the day of redemption. We're being sanctified. And that one day we will be glorified with you in heaven. And so, Lord, help us to live for you who died for us. Help us to live in the shadow of the cross. Help us to live in the power of the cross. Help us to believe the work of the cross. And help us to love the Christ of the cross. We'll give you thanks, give you praise, we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name, and everyone agreeing said, amen. God bless you all.